Lord, I pray that um, as we talk about uh, world religions, Lord, that um, I'd have the balance of uh, um, respecting the position uh, but disagreeing it on uh, Christian worldviews. Lord, so I just um, I pray that your grace be upon my communication, and um, I pray also that your truth uh, would be rise to the surface. In Jesus' mighty name, can I hear amen? Amen. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm Eric Van Ree, uh, pastor of The Adventure, lead pastor. Um, I, our series right now is called, um, if you could put it on the front there for me too, Matt, um, Answers Investigating Life's Questions. I'm talking about God and world religions today. Um, I'm trying to give a general overview I can't go into super detail on every particular ones. I'll be focusing on a few, um, mostly some of our, our local religion. I'll be focusing on also world religions like Islam and um, uh, some on uh, our local um, Mormonism, LDS, uh, Jehovah Witness, and I'll also talk about maybe a little bit of our own um, church culture too where we can uh, find ourselves off base. Um, I'm not an expert on every single viewpoint. In other words, I'm not the expert on Islam. If I did one in great, much more great detail, um, I'd pr- bring somebody in who was, um, if I was going to do like a five-day seminar or something. Um, but I know some. And uh, everything that I'm using here as far as information is real sources. So I'm not, you know, giving just my interpretation. And um, just so you do know, I am a Christian, so I am comparing it from a Christian worldview. If you were to get this in a college class that was an atheist, they would take the Christian worldview and maybe not uh, present it in the same way. Um, I'm trying to present them as accurate as possible, and I'm also trying to compare it as well. And uh, next week, by the way, we are starting a new series, and I'll be finishing this one up um, at a, at a different time, getting more detailed in it at a later time. But we are going to um, some leadership lessons on fruits of the spirit um, for uh, several weeks. Um, next week, I think, is our family worship uh, time. We're, so we're going to have uh, young kids in as well. And uh, we thought it would be fun if our family did worship next week. So our family is going to be making a band. And uh, we'll be the band next week. Now the worship team leading you guys into worship. So all our kids... Will be there, and I think we have um, someone stepping in for bass who's going to pretend like they're our grandpa. So either Dan Ward with this gray beard or Greg Cornmuller. We'll put a gray beard on him. Um, so, Lord, um, I pray that you open our eyes in Jesus' name. Why don't you go ahead and put on the first slide? And I, I want to just talk to you from the heart. I do have quite a bit of slides, but some of them will be quick. They're just pictures and things like that. I, I want you to see that that twenty dollar bill right there and speak to you a little bit about philosophy, how I'm approaching this. How many know you're not going to know everything about every world religion? Okay, come on. You're just not going to know. If you've had an encounter with Christ before, so he's validated to you that he's real. You've seen that the gospel is real. You've encountered the word of God. You know that it's real. My suggestion and my approach through the years has been Know what the truth is. And everything that you hear after that will contrast to what you know. Um, You know, I've led quite a few Muslims to the Lord. And um, I know that that is a religion that's largely based on works. 
You know, they have the five pillars of Islam. You know, the things that they do. I don't know every single detail. I don't know every holy place and what it means. I don't know every single detail of the history of Islam. But I know that forgiveness is not fully felt. That I know. And I know that the redemption doesn't feel real until you're really redeemed by Jesus Christ. How many say amen? Until you sense that redemption of Christ removing your sins and then the freedom of the Holy Spirit to dwell in you, you remain in the flesh. So what do I know about someone who is following Islam is that the Holy Spirit of the Lord is not dwelling in them through the faith in Muhammad and the five pillars. So that I know. So if I'm talking to somebody, I will ask them. When one Muslim that I led to the Lord, I asked them. I said, they said, I'm trying to find forgiveness. And I said, well, what do you have to do? Well, I have to fully change. And I said, okay, so you have to fully change so God will accept you. How is that opposite of Christianity? In Christianity, we're forgiven because, can everyone say, of what Christ did? Of what Christ did. It's what he did on the cross, not what we do is where forgiveness is real. Yes, we live it out in daily confession, but that is not where our fully forgiveness, our full forgiveness and the presence dwelling in us is. When we feel temporary sins, the spirit doesn't leave us. He stays in and shines light on the sin, but he doesn't leave us and depart from us. That would be true in every religion that's works-based. It's trying to earn its way up. So once I know what the dollar bill is, the other thing is, what is the message of the gospel? Can everyone say Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, him crucified. That's the message. That's the core. That's the $20 bill. That's what it looks like. So someone says, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I also believe in the pink pony. And I think to myself then that isn't Jesus Christ alone. It's Jesus Christ and the pink pony, Jesus Christ and these covenants, Jesus Christ and this ritual, Jesus Christ, and make sure you look at Mecca, Jesus Christ and this new prophet, Jesus Christ and there's a new revelation. No, no and. Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Once it starts to add things, and trust me, I hear this in Christian churches too. It grieves me greatly or I'll hear it and people will be preaching and they say, Jesus Christ, and make sure that you, listen, I'm all for church attendance, but you're not saved by your church attendance. We come to the, together as a congregation because we want to and because we fellowship, we're part of the body. It's not a requirement for salvation. It's him crucified. The thief on the cross was never a church member, never a board member, never an elder, never a deacon. And I do believe those church things exist. I don't believe in the, no church, local church movement. Um, it's not biblical and debated at any time. But if you know the $20 bill, I put for equipping purposes, I don't need to know everything about every religion. I just really need to know and understand the truth. Then I ask people what they believe, and I contrast it to the truth. Like I'll say, so what do you believe about Jesus? I'm talking to someone who may be LDS. Well, I think that he did this, and he's the redeemer. That's the right word. Redeemer. And I said, so are your sins forgiven? Yes. So are you totally forgiven? Well, no. Not really. Because I'm still working at it. That's how they live it out. Am I saved by the grace 
of Allah in Islam? Yes. Do you still have to earn it by doing the five pillars? Do you still have to take the hajj, the, the trip, the pilgrimage? Yes, yes, I do. Do you have to look to the black stone? Yes, I do, for forgiveness. Okay. Then it's not by grace. Then it's by works. But we believe in Jesus. We believe some of the things he said. We believe Jesus and we also believe this other things that we have to put our hope in. Now understand, there's one other thing I want to point out. If the message of the Old Testament is valid and Islam looks to it, Jehovah Witnesses look to it, you know, um, um, Mormons look to it, we as Christians look to it. What does that Old Testament point to? And I tell you that it points to Jesus Christ, the Messiah that is to come. The Jews at that time in Judaism either believed it, him as the Messiah or they did not. Those that did not we know some of the story there. We also know that, um, uh, that they lost the sacrificial system, and a lot of the systems in the Old Testament were diminished, and they have been till that time, and they've been rewritten to accommodate those things that no longer can happen because I believe the Bible teaches that the sacrifice of Christ removed the need for the temple. That's why I'm not looking forward to a future temple. Can you say, I am the temple? I believe that we are, as the people, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, it's important. The gospel, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the good news, right? Whoever believes, what's going to happen to them? They shall not perish. They shall have everlasting life. That message, that focus on Jesus Christ, on any new belief system, is going to have to change in order for a new religion to come. Okay? That's the way it has to be. Let's look at, let's look at origins. Uh, Judaism, from our perspective, starts at creation with Adam and his legacy down. Hinduism, we know from its time frame in the 2200 BC, starts where Babel is. We get India, Nepal, the Sumerians, the Tower of Babel scattered. That's when you start to get the oral tradition of a flood that goes through every uh, world religion. They almost all have a flood story. Well, that would make sense if the flood came and then the Tower of Babel came and everybody there experienced the flood and it passed from generation to generation. And the story is, yes, there was some big flood that was there. Christianity starts in what year? Year one. We're number one, man. I'm just kidding. And so it's a good way for us to detect, you know, the, you know, it's 2013. So we, we know that that time frame. Islam starts, you know, Muhammad starts getting his revelations, which he got for about 23 years um, from the angel Gabriel, uh, 622 A.D. So that's 622 years later. Ask yourself now, is, is a revelation of 622 years later a more accurate revelation of Jesus Christ than the early disciples' revelation of Jesus Christ. And I've talked, I was talking to a Muslim one time, and he said, well, the first book isn't of the first early manuscripts of the, old, of the New Testament are 50 A.D. and 120 A.D., you know, like maybe that first generation, right at the end of that generation. I said, yeah, it's about how long it took them to write it and start passing it around. They didn't have FedEx and no email. That's about right. And, and then I said, but what about you? 
You're telling me about what Jesus did and didn't do 620 years later. 600 years later. Why would your revelation be more accurate than these manuscripts that I have that are early papyri, 5, 000, over 5,000 copies of this? Why would it be more accurate? Uh, Mormonism, again, uh, contends that Christianity didn't get it right in a nutshell. And that's not what we're saying. That's what is said. Most people know some of these quotes. I won't give them all now, but 1820. And then we have Christian science and a few others as well. I did include them. And then Jehovah Witness in 1879 with Charles Taze Russell. And atheism, I put a question mark because God says that there is no atheists. Right? How many know that's true in the scriptures? God says, I've made it obvious. They can see that I made it and they're just denying the truth. So I'm just going with God. One of the things also that you have to measure is when you have a text. So we start with the Old Testament and then the New Testament. And then we have 600 years go by and then we get the Quran. And then, you know, we get the Sunnah and the Hadiths. It's when we get this, how early are the copies after the original? So in other words, if I get a copy of Plato and then 400 years later, I have the first original copy. And you have to ask yourself, well, there's a 400-year gap. And then how much of that copies do I get that I could really see a body of evidence? I'll just tell you right now, I'll do it more conclusively when I talk about a biblical defense. The Bible has no equal. It's not even close. It's not like, oh, this is really close. You know, some of the first um, Muslim books where you have a real original complete is about 250 years afterwards. They have some that they claim that were there, that were right at the same time as Islam. Remember, again, you got one author. In the Bible, you have, you know, 40 authors over three continents, three languages, all telling one revelation that's consistent. In the Quran, you have one person getting a revelation, writing things down. And then you have a couple hundred years later where you have really the first copies incomplete and then more and more complete saying that the Bible copies aren't good. Now, that's inconsistent. If you got that bigger time frame and you're almost 600 years from the original, why should we trust it? And for those that think that the Bible has been messed up, but the new founder makes it great and has this new revelation, why do you think the new founder can, do, can keep their new works together when Jesus Christ couldn't? Think about that, just from a logical perspective. In other words, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes. You know, the, the Mormons agree with that, although they have, a, they have a different definition of what the Son of God means. Um, Jehovah Witnesses believe he's the Son of God, but he's not the Almighty God. And then Islam believes that he's not really the Son of God. He is a son of man, more so. In other words, just a human being and another prophet, but not quite. He's the greatest one until you get to Muhammad. So if the great prophet, Jesus Christ, if he's just a prophet, why can he not keep his church together? And why can he not keep his words together? Does that make sense to you? From just a purely logical perspective, Jesus Christ, the son of God, comes, makes a church, makes the words of God come through his people, and then he can't make it work, and he can't keep it intact. Although all his promises are that I do keep it intact. How many say amen to that? Okay, who? Judaism, again. Um, 
God is the originator in Hinduism. Um, we find India written first in, um, in the book of Esther. Um, and there's some references to Kush and Ethiopia, which is uh, um, ancient India. Um, so we're looking at 2200. Christianity is founded by the coming of Jesus Christ. Do I hear an amen? It's Jesus Christ came. Um, now, Islam was founded by Muhammad, who is called the messenger of Allah. And again, Allah is the Arabic term uh, for God. Um, it's the, basically the Arabic word. And when a new founder comes in, understand that the importance now focuses to the new founder. It, it's, it's, so in Jesus Christ, he is the focal point. We as Christians, who's more important, Eric Van Rie or Jesus Christ? Okay, that's right. Is it close? No, it's not even close. There is no other ones we turn to. There's no other great leader. Billy Graham's coming to town. He's a good dude, but he puts his pants on the same way we do, right? Every once in a while, he's sitting there and he sees a nurse go by and he may lust in his heart. Who knows? Right? How many know that Billy Graham is not a perfect man? Okay, so we know that our focus is Jesus Christ. He is the salvation Along comes Islam, and now we're honoring the new person. The focus becomes Muhammad. And you know what happens if you mess with Muhammad's picture or anything like that. It's very important to it. So when you see a new religion comes in, in the time frame, 600 years later, 1,800 years later, the focal point is now going to change. It's going to change from Jesus Christ, even if you have it in your name of the church. It's going to change its focus. And... It's found in, in, in an Arabic country, right? In Saudi Arabia there, Mecca, Medina, um, the, the origins of Islam. Now it becomes the most important. The language of uh, Arabic language becomes important. The new founder becomes important. That becomes the focal point. The shrines and the things that are found there are what's important. But we focus on Jesus Christ crucified. Every new thing is not going to look like that $20 bill. It's going to change. So you ask people, what's your faith in? Well, we make sure that we do these prayers. So your prayers. Well, then we have to take this pilgrimage. So your trip. And then I have to make sure that I'm what you're doing. And I have to keep my covenants and make sure that I, what you're doing. In Christianity, can everyone say it's what's Christ doing? It's what's Christ doing. There is the difference. And again, Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not, What? will not overcome it, right? They'll not prevail. This is the important thing. Um, Mormonism, again, is founded by Joseph Smith, who had a revelation uh, from an angel. Um, so did Muhammad, also had a revelation from an angel. And then Charles Taze Russell from Jehovah Witness, who was basically a, a pastor, leader, um, um, locally, kind of a small group guy who started studying the Bible, and he thought he had a new interpretation of some of the scriptures, and he began to retranslate it. Um, and he thought that Jesus Christ did not have deity, so he would change the way the scriptures were, and I'll show that in a little bit. And then how, the next one, is Judaism was founded. Um, how? The method is the revelation of the prophetic word. Prophets writing through the centuries, pointing to Jesus Christ, correlating to one single message. The book of Genesis, the book of Judges, you know, the Psalms, they all point to Jesus Christ. Almost four 
thousand prophecies pointing to who Jesus Christ is. That, that is a proof statement. Um, then when you get to Christianity, again, we're subject to the prophets who pointed Jesus Christ out. You see the Bereans checking to see if the story is true. Christianity doesn't ignore Judaism. It looks at Judaism and it says, wow, what, which, what's true and what's not true? You know, we're, we have to check the Old Testament to see if we're right. I think that if someone comes with a new revelation, whether it be the Book of Mormon or the Quran, I think that we have an obligation to look at the old text that we've accepted and compare it to it. How many agree with that position? How many think that's a fair position? The Old Testament's there. Everyone acknowledges it in religious circles. Then you get the New Testament, and then you compare. Is it saying, is this what it meant? Is this what it said? Is this what we see? And then they're going, yes, this is exactly what it is, and that's why we as Christians can point to the Old and the New Testament. But if you want to create a new religion, you have to go back to the sins of the garden. The first sins are, did God really say this? In other words, can we trust his word? Can we trust his word to be preserved? That's going to be the question. Islam says, you can't trust it all. We accept some of it, but not all of it. Well, how do you cherry pick it? I don't want this one, but I do want this one. Just because you said it. Or as far as it's translated correctly from the LDS point of view. Well, which part's translated correctly? Well, not this one, but that one is. How do you pick that? We're totally depending on the word of men now, not in correspondence where everyone's looking at the same view of a multitude of prophetic words like the Bible put together, but we're looking at single views. I think it's not, okay? And where does the focus then change after the new revelation happens? More on Jesus Christ or less? It's always less, okay? Um, Again, Islam, the origin is the angel Gabriel who gave revelation. I have the, the, some, of the, some of the artwork there where you see it. And again, it's in Arabic, so Arabic becomes important. Everything becomes important about the founder. Um, you see the angel Moroni there, um, an old prophet who then revisits as, a, as an angel, angelic vision who comes to Joseph Smith. And again, what's important? Well, whatever the angel looks like, you know, uh, no offense, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but you see things like the words white and delightsome. What you see and what that culture was like tended to be very white, and white is all of a sudden very elevated because of that local culture. That's true. It's true of the Arabic culture. The Arabic nation and its color and everything is totally exalted. Others are less than. How many know that God makes all colors? All versions of brown, Right? And those of you who are light are always in the tanning, but they're trying to get darker brown. I, I don't get it, but you know what I mean? Just, and, then, and then you get Jehovah Witness, who doesn't claim to be a prophet, but there are tons of prophecies in early Jehovah Witness history, and it cannot be denied. They, they predicted the end of the world and Jesus' return several times in the 1900s. But they saw themselves more as analyzers of the word and redoing it. Charles says Russell was not formally educated um, when he translated it, and it still wasn't. Um, he says he's not a prophet, and um, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I do want to harp on this angel thing one, one time. Put the scripture up here. Most of you know this from Galatians 1.8. 
Paul, when he's talking about this gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel, can everyone say other than? Other than the one we preached. In other words, did Paul and the early disciples preach about Muhammad? No. Did they preach about the restored church of of Mormonism? Did they preach eternal progression or temple rituals to get to God and to a higher status? So gospel meaning good news. He's saying if an angel from heaven, and you would be surprised. I only picked a few religions, but if you picked religions, world religions across, it's surprising to me how often an angel comes for a visitation. Okay, so don't tell me your angel story. Now, and listen, I, am, I just said this before. I'm not trying to be harsh on this or confrontive. I'm really trying to just get at the heart of the gospel and understand that Paul is saying this. He's saying, if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. This is Paul confronting anything that would deviate itself from the truth, which brings eternal life, salvation, deliverance, healing, restoration, relationship with God, the most important thing in the universe. He says, if you mess with that, let you be eternally cursed. Let anathema be upon thee. I don't say this as a judgmental pastor. I say it one true to the word and preaching it straight. As we've already said, so I now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned, eternally condemned. And he clearly says Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he's not saying it's a, the, our covenant of what marriage is. Maybe you got the greatest marriage in the world. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. We have marriage classes and all kinds of things. And maybe it blows up and you fall to the wayside. You can still be saved by Jesus Christ. And maybe you got rid of drugs, but one day you fall and you shoot heroin and you go back on the binge and then six months later and all of a sudden, you know, you realize that Jesus Christ died on this, your cross for your sins. You can be saved because of what Christ has done. You might be going, I've been going to church all my life, but you're a little arrogant. You're a little self-righteous. You can still be saved, right? Maybe only your wife or your husband or your kids see your secret sins. You know what I mean? Just little things of the heart. You can still be saved by what Christ has done. Do I hear an amen? If you should preach a gospel other than that, and I'll say it to you again, let that person be eternally accursed. Let them be anathema. Last one is God. Um, Put the last one on there. Who is the God on the last line there? Judaism believes in one God. Hinduism has multiple beliefs. It has one mono version of Brahmanism within it, which believes all the multiple gods are actually really one God, but they're polytheistic. Christianity believes that there's one God, but in the scriptures, he's revealed himself through the spirit, through the father, and through the son. Islam believes that there is one God. His name is Allah. He's always been alone. And I asked the question, then he's never had relationship before. That's, so he, when he first made creatures, he learned relationship for the very first time. 
Our, our, our God knew that already within himself. But he's Allah. Mormonism is polytheism because men become gods. We look at the origin of all things being an almighty, all-knowing God. But if you follow Mormonism, you know that that God that you serve, even if it's the one God you serve, it originally was a man who progressed. And I just make this comment. All men are fools. And if fools somehow get more righteous and become gods, it doesn't change the fact that if you are from an LDS background, you have to concede that the origin of all existence is from a fool. Unless there was some original God, but then you lower the meaning of what a God is if he wasn't perfect. Let's say you became a God, but you used to be an idiot. What kind of God is that? Right? Let's say I became a God. You're going, I remember that God used to do this. And you can come up with the list. Uh, Jehovah Witnesses have a version of polytheism too on Psalm 82, although they believe there is one almighty God, Jehovah Yeshua. Um, But they believe Jesus Christ is an angel. um, And really they believe that Jesus Christ is Michael the archangel um, in Revelation. And atheism does not believe in God technically. Um, although I believe that the God of atheism is, is their version of science. Their Bible is their version of the fossil record. Um, so don't, you, when you mess with that, you mess with their Bible. Um, you are my witnesses. The next scripture here declares the Lord so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. No God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Do I hear Amen. Did Jesus claim to be God? John 10. Uh, We are not stoning you, next one, for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. That's why they did it. Thomas comes to him, my Lord, my God. The virgin, next one, will be with child and will be given birth to a son. This is Isaiah 7, 14, fulfilled in Matthew. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So if you're going to rewrite a translation for that, like Jehovah's Witnesses have a redone translation in the New World Translation, it theirs goes like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. And it's in parentheses. And then in our notes... It's basically Charles Taze Russell says, if you study the Greek in the way that I did, you can add the article A if you want to. And these things have been refuted by real biblical scholars for literally a century and a half. This one says he was God. God says to Moses in Exodus, I am who I am. Can everyone say he's the I am? That's his description. He doesn't call himself Allah. He doesn't just call himself Elohim as, he, as, his, as if he has a name like that. He calls himself the I am present because we know that he is Jehovah Jireh. He's, he's the God, the provider. He's God, the redeemer. He's God, the restorer. Who can define this incredible God? But we get into these new religions from 600 on up and he, he's got a name. You know what I mean? His name's Allah or his name's Bob or his name's Elohim or we come up with specific names based on some Hebrew, Arabic, Greek, Chaldean text and all different kinds of religions go different ways. 
But that's not how God describes him. But Jesus, okay, so here you have, I am the Lord. Look at this, I am, ego I me, there in the Greek, for me. And there is, apart from me, there is what? Can everyone say no savior? God, the old, God of the Old Testament says there's no savior besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no savior except me. So don't acknowledge any savior but me. Is that true? But who is Jesus? Isn't he the savior of the world? Isn't that what the Old Testament prophets are saying? That he, he and the Father are one. Anyone has seen me has seen the Father. Here you have it in Jesus. The next slide. They come to him and he's talking. Jesus is talking about Abraham. He's talking about Moses. He's talking about uh, Jeremiah. And all of a sudden they look at him and they're going, you're talking about Abraham like you know him. How old are you? And he says, you're not yet 50 years old, the Jew said to him. And you have seen Abraham? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, can everyone say, I am? Well, if you don't want that, you're going to have to change it. And then the New World Translation from Jehovah Witness, it says, before Abraham was born, I have been. That's what they say in the New World Translation because it has to have a different meaning. It can't point back to Christ having deity. But you see the I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the gate. Ego I me. I am the life. I am the shepherd. I am the vine. I am the light. I am the bread. I am the resurrection. I am, period. How many say amen? Jesus has the same claim as the great I am. What's the message in Christianity? Is Jesus Christ died for, according to the scriptures, that's the Old Testament, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. And then he appeared to Peter and James and John and then to 500 and then to the 12th and to the rest. He appeared. There was testimony. If books could have been written to refute his belief, they would have been written then. But all the accounts that we have from Pliny the Younger, all the historical evidences from Josephus and other acknowledge what the testimony is and no physical refutation. Again, this is the $20 bill. Do I hear an Amen. This is what the bill is. Message of Islam is there is no God apart from God. We believe that. Can everyone say and? And. Now here's where the focal point has to change. And Muhammad is the messenger of God. And Joseph Smith is the true prophet of God. And here we go. And Mary Baker Eddy is the one who's get the things. And, you know, the new restored church is this. And it's and. You believe in the grace? Yes. And make sure that you also do this. That's how it is. And they, this is often said that they say, well, Jesus isn't deity. Jesus never said, I am God. Worship me. I just showed you several places where he does claim the deity, and I can go on and on. But Jesus also never said, I'm only a prophet. He never said, I'm a prophet of Allah. He never said, I'm just a man. And he never said, do not worship me. And how many know that Jesus, the word proskuneo, worship, is worshiped many times in the New Testament and accepts it greatly every time. But when the angel one time is worshiped in the book of Revelation and when Peter is worshiped and when Paul is worshiped, they reject it vehemently, vehemently, okay? Plus, we don't make doctrines on what Jesus did not say we focus on what he actually did and accomplished and said. And how many know there's a ton of stuff that Jesus said? 
okay? Um, message of Mormonism. Now, this comes from, from the, uh, LDS.org. Um, again, I'm not trying to insult anyone. These are just the beliefs here. I've talked to, and I get this from missionaries a lot, and I ask them, so what do I have to do to become a Mormon? And these are the four things that I get often. Joseph Smith was a true prophet. The LDS church is the one true church. Can I tell you right now, the, the adventure church is not the one true church. We are just a group of believers congregating in the New Testament setting. Yes, we have leaders and elders and deacons. We don't use those terms. We call them team leaders, small group leaders. We have different terminologies with the same thing in our modern world. But when they say the one true church or the one true prophet, if I come up here and I say, tomorrow a big semi-truck is going to come in here, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't happen, then I'm an idiot, right? But how many know the church is still fine? But if I claim to be the one true church and I say the truck is there and I'm speaking it, I have now discredited that organization. So false prophecy is more important to an organization. Remember, Islam doesn't have that fact. It does have a mobility there. But Jehovah Witness with his Watchtower Society and the LDS Church with its the one true church has to live up to that thing. And, you know, that's why it has to appear that way. You know, we can walk down the street and fart and someone say, oh, that person just farted and sinned because he forgot to do, he did it in public and caused a whatever. Yeah, it wasn't my best moment. <laughs> I got to remember not to be real on Sunday. The, 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 the Book of Mormon is true. And that the present prophet is a true living prophet. And, I'm, and almost every LDS missionary that has come to me, I've asked them in sincerity. And if you're an LDS missionary or if you're LDS, I'd said, what about Jesus? Why is him and him not crucified the same gospel which Paul preached, not the same thing of the focus? Why do I need to add it? And they say, well, we're just exactly the same well, how can we be the same if your focus is not Jesus Christ alone? It's Jesus Christ and Joseph Smith is this. You have to believe that. You don't have to believe that Eric is any prophet. You don't even have to believe I'm a pastor. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Do I hear an amen? Um, Jehovah Witness, I'm going to skip that one just in the course of time. Let's go to the scriptures there. Um, the scriptures are there for us to be wise. We believe they're inspired. Next one. Every word of God is flawless. Do not add to his words or he'll rebuke you and prove you a liar. Um, go ahead in the next one. We see how many copies we have here. The papyra, which are the old documents, all the way to the lectionaries, which are early church fathers, writers. Metzger, the textual critic, um, says that 97% of the New Testament can be written just on lectionaries written. These are sermons written by early church leaders. We could compile the whole New Testament just on their quotes. That's how many copies we have. 5,735 copies of the manuscripts of the Old New Testament. Isn't that amazing? It's not even close. If you see the timelines, the history is not even close. And on the next one, you can see different documents. I'm not going to go through them. I'll go through them at another time. Scriptures in Islam, um, they believe in the Torah, which is the Pentateuch, basically the first five books of the Old Testament. But why not the rest? I, I don't know. 
I, I guess if you start a new religion, just to be fair, you can pick from the old one which ones you want and don't want. And that's what it seems like to me. Maybe this one. Well, what if I start a new belief system now and I said only the first four books? Or just get rid of Leviticus because I don't want to read it in my journaling time. Right? They believe in David and the Psalms. But what about the Psalms that point to who Christ is? What about the Psalms who believe that that point to Jesus Christ being crucified? They don't believe that Jesus was crucified. You know, they believe that Judas was crucified in place of Jesus. Of course, it has to move away from the $20 bill. Jesus Christ, him crucified. 600 years later, no, he wasn't crucified. Uh, We believe some of the books. Again, Injil, which is the uh, Jesus uh, Gospels and is written, especially the red writing is very important to them. Um, And then the Quran, which I already talked about, and Sunnah, which is basically the practice and example of Muhammad. So we get Muhammad's actual writings, and then we got the examples of observations of him, and then we got basically what he said, did, and approved, his practices in the Hadith. And we get different, different sects emphasize more of the Sunnah. Some emphasize it less, but most accept it as a second authority and have different levels up. And Surah 2.12 says, This is the book about which there is no doubt a guidance for those conscious of Allah. And, and I, I, I just say this because I find this in a lot of belief systems after the year one, is that they usually have an emphasis of not you can examine it to see if it's true, like the Old Testament said. and the New Testament, we compare it and analyze, analyze it. But it's like, well, in your heart, you got to know it's true. And if you don't, then you're a wicked person. Mormonism has the same thing. Do you believe in your heart that it is? Well, if not, then your heart's lying. It's not true. You have to believe in your heart. Well, can I analyze it? No, just check in your heart. Listen, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Why would I want to put my hope in the heart? And then the scriptures in Mormonism, of course, is the Book of Mormon. And most know that the, that the changes that have been made because they see it more as a living document, so it's constantly changing. And it's changed in great contradictions from itself. I'll point a few things out, but then the doctrines and covenants, um, which used to be full of doctrines and then covenants, but it's really become more of a covenantal book. Uh, Revelations to Joseph Smith, uh, the Pearl of Great Price, which is a collection of scriptures, the book of Moses, the book of Abraham, the Joseph Smith's history, articles of faith. And in the article faith, again, and they also believe the Bible. And again, here is the, the, again, if you're going to have to make something new, from the Christian perspective, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. Well, who's going to decide that? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Eh, I don't know. That's not in there. Thou shalt not, Jody. <laughs> you know, I mean, I can just go, you know what? Yeah, I can. You know, what, you know, what about thou shalt not lie? Yeah, but I don't know if that one's really in there. It, it's always the ones, you can cherry pick the ones out. How do we know that your new revelation actually is true about the old revelation, which we've already counted on? That's already in practice for 1,800 years, for 600 years. Um, put, put some next one. Uh, many know that there's computer analysis that have looked at the scriptures. We have a Moroni 7, 1 Corinthians 13. These are, some would say, it's not, these are not disputes, by the way. This is a fact. 
These are things where if you compare the two texts, we see the texts that have been moved from one to the other. And they've been circled and identified. And there's whole computer analysis that can go through the book of Isaiah, can go through the Corinthians and compare them. It says, oh, this was taken here. And I've shared, I've shared this with um, my LDS friends. And I said, hey, what do you think about that? And they said, well, Jesus quoted the Old Testament. And I said, yeah, but he gave credit to it. He said, Jeremiah said it. Or David said this. Here you have whole sections of scripture that are just rewritten with name changes. The same story, the same concept. How many think this is a problem that needs to be overcome? If, the, if you want us to accept it, this is why there's criticism from skeptics. Um, again, one more. Um, I'll focus on the one and write the original doctrines and covenants, the book of commandments. It says, Joseph Smith has a gift to translate the book of Mormon, and I have commanded him that he shall pretend to, to no other gift, for I will grant him no other. But then all of a sudden, you get him about 10, 15 years later where he, he's now doing new revelation with the um, pearl of great price. And he says, and you have a gift to translate the plates. He switches it from the Book of Mormon to the plates. And then he adds this. And this is the first gift that I bestowed upon you. Now it's changed. So the question is, is Why? And it says, I have commanded that you should pretend no other gift, and and then there's added again, until my purpose is fulfilled in you. For I will grant unto you no other gift until it is finished. This is a common thing that we find in a lot of scripts that are outside of the Bible. Again, I'm not trying to be a personal attack here. I'm trying to look at if I was a person coming to Mormonism to look at its literature, and I saw that these were translated, and someone says, I only have this gift, and the next one it says, But I also have new gifts. And there are thousands of these found in the Book of Mormon. I think that's cause for concern. How many would agree with that? Okay, and and this, so just take it that. Now, salvation in Christianity, I'll just be a few minutes over here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's It's either it's finished or get to work. Okay, salvation. For by grace you've been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. Can everyone say it's the gift of God? It's the gift of God, not by works. No one can boast. Year one. We get that right at that, that generation. Okay? Salvation in Mormonism is a little different. It says, we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, also our brethren, to believe in Christ. There it is. And to be reconciled, for we know it is by grace that we are saved. And then here's what we add. After all that we can do. In other words, the doing is what brings a transformation. The grace is what's the added thing at the end. It's again differently. Um, Again, um, if you shall believe in Christ, you will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ, and he hath given them unto me, and they teach all men that they should do good. Again, this is the focus, works. Um, Mormon salvation, the picture here, if you go ahead and put the graph up here, I'm not going to go through it, but, but if you come from this earth and you're moving your way up, you, I would be in, I've talked to Mormons before and they told me that I'd be in the terrestrial kingdom because I'm an honorable man who didn't accept Mormonism. And I said, let me tell you, I'm a, I'm a sinner. How many would admit you're a sinner? How many think you're truly honorable on your own merit? Okay. Well, you're not going to the terrestrial kingdom if that's true. Okay. That's the way it is. 
the celestial kingdom is supposed to be by grace, but you have to have morality, loyalty, tithing, word of wisdom, duty, celestial marriage, and then there's godhood. So you have to ask yourself, does that seem logical to you? Islam, again, there is no God apart from it, and Muhammad is the messenger, and you have to have the faith, which is not like us saved by faith. It's a devotion to Allah. There are prayers. There's the zakat giving, which is 2.25%, so it's less than the 10%. There's the fasting, and then there's the pilgrimage, all which needs to happen by Islam. Um, I'll skip Jehovah Witness for now and just say, and skip, go all the way to the holy temples because I'm going to close up with this, okay? Almost every one of the religions now have holy sacrifices and holy places that they are important to their meeting. This is one. There is a pilgrimage that must be taken to Mecca around this ancient stone building called the Kaaba. The Muslims pray there. They circle it seven times. There's a black stone that they have to kiss um, that's there, but you can also just point to it if you're far away. It is a forgiveness cleansing that you have to take or at least be inclined to take. They have some exceptions with an afterlife that can accommodate for it. Um, Again, we are saved by Jesus Christ and what he did. There is the $20 bill. Now you have to take this trip to do something else, to make the forgiveness happen, to make the cleansing happen. Your daily prayers will make that forgiveness clean. If you did not say a prayer this morning, you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. If you did not take a trip to the Adventure Church, you are forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. Do I hear an amen? You can picture the next one with the black stone. You can see it there. It's in the eastern cornerstone. Um, They say it's not worshipped, but in practice, it looks like it's worshipped. They use kind of what the Catholics use with Mary, that it's venerated, not worshipped. And then again, in Mormonism, we have temples, which represent a progression I got this from the general authorities who gave several of us pastors a tour of the temple. I've gotten several tours now. And I asked them, I said, I said, is this reflective of the Old Testament temple that, there's a, that you're moving to the holy place? And they said, no, we believe we're saved by grace too. It's just, and I said, so it's an illustration of how you get to these rooms because he was t- telling me how the, the room gets lighter and lighter and lighter as you work through um, to get your endowments. And I said, he said, he said no, they're, 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 they're by grace. They're just an illustration. And so I asked in front of the general authorities, I said to them, as I had said, so it's not necessary. And I said, because we believe that Jesus Christ in the Old Testament went through, when he was crucified, the veil that connected us to the holy place was torn. And he said, no, he goes, oh, no, 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 it's necessary. And I said, and he said, but I'm not a scriptorian. Let me get one of the other general authorities to answer. (laughs) So we went to that general authority, and he didn't know, so they were going to refer me to someone else, and I waited, and the phone call never came. I'm just telling you my experience. It's because it is necessary. And in Islam, it is necessary. Okay? And again, the reason there's skeptics, this the last couple things here, is that we see on the sides of these temples occult symbols 
that, that bring confusion to people who are not LDS or raised LDS. The, the picture of the Phoenician sun god that we find in the Phoenician history and the Babylonian history, why are they on this, these temples? And we want to know why there are satanic symbols on there like the pentagrams. That, that's a question that, that we have to ask. Why, why are they in the side? And why are they not on the latest ones after the criticism is brought? In other words, why should that affect it? If it's, it really belongs there and has true meaning, then keep them on there. Um, and also, we see things like in the, the baptism of the dead ceremonies, we th- see things that we think were condemned in the Old Testament, like golden calves um, in the temple area. And, um, and we also see that, um, that, that there is, you can become a Mormon after you die, and the Bible says it is appointed once for a man to die, and then comes the judgment. We find that in the New Testament. And again, if I'm getting saved because someone's going to baptize me, then it's not my faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? And I'm not going to go into the whole story about uh, missionaries there, but so let's look at the temples of Christianity. The Most High does not live in houses made by men, and this is my last slide, the next one. Oh, no, <laughs> next, last one, put the last one on. This is the Christian temple. For we are the temple of the living God, as God had said. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's the spirit of truth. You will know him because he will live in you and be in you. Let me, let me just close with this, and, and I hope you're encouraged by this, and I hope you got with the amount of time I had. We ran a little bit late. You do not have to walk through a ritual of the temple to go through its rituals to get access to the spirit. When Christ died, that veil was torn and you have access to the most holy place now. Not as if you have to go to that temple to access it. Now his spirit, which is, he's the living one who is all things in all places. His intimate presence now dwells in you as you put faith in the cross and Christ. You don't have to walk anywhere you can be on the toilet and have encounter with God. How many say amen? That is not coarse jesting. That is real. We, are, we have the Holy Spirit of God. Why don't you close your eyes?